Hello and welcome back to this week's edition of the Omni Talk Fast Five. If you're watching us live, it is July 16, 2020. And if you're listening to us at home or anywhere you happen to be listening to us, it's probably July 17th or later. I am, of course, joined, as always, by Anne Mazinga. Good morning, everybody. So it's good. a good one today. It's a good one. It's a good hot morning here in Minneapolis. Of course, Emma, the intern. Emma, where are you today? I'm still in New York. Still in New York, still with the stepladder in the background. That is fantastic. And I am also excited to announce that we have a special t- guest today. And it looks early where he is. And that is Ken Pilot, my friend and mentor. Looks like he's li- coming to us live from San Francisco. How you doing, Ken? Yeah, it's almost live. Um, I feel almost live. I'm happy to get through this mess. And uh, good to join you and see you. You too, you too, you too. So for those listening, I'm really thrilled about this. Ken is, but I've known Ken, I think I've known Ken, I hate to date ourselves, but I think I've known Ken for almost 20 years now. Uh, we reconnected probably about four, it was three, probably four or five years ago, Ken. We, we, we reconnected at, I think it was at Shop Talk, just in the hallway yeah, I remember at one Shop. point in time. Yeah, pre-corona. And, uh, yeah, and uh, pre-corona, yeah, pre-corona. And uh, yeah, and we just kind of bonded again ever since. But uh Ken, luscious career in retail. I knew him when he was the head. What was it? What was the official title, Ken, at, at Gap? The head of Gap Brand. Is that right? President of Gap Brand. Yeah. President yeah. of Gap. Yep. And so what? And now, now I think he's an advisor for many, many different startups in the space. So, Ken, how are you keeping busy these days? For everyone out there listening. Well, trying to keep startups still up. So we go <laughs> from start to still up, which is good. It, it's a challenging environment. You know, challenging for many of these startups that are in the tech space looking to support retailers and brands in as much as it's a tough time to approach a retailer or a brand to see if they haven't opened to buy. As many brands are obviously just struggling to make payroll, uh, to keep business going, or to restart their business. So a bit tough for these guys, and I appreciate the space that they're in. But nonetheless, it's technology. Uh, I work with technology companies who I feel offer a solution to retailers or brands that's necessary to go forward. And, um, you know, perhaps if many of these brands had gotten on board sooner, uh, they'd be feeling a little less pain now from what we're experienced, which in my mind uh, is really a compression of time, right? We had a 20 year Amazon and uh, epidemic right. that is translated into a pandemic, which really pulled forward the next five years in about three months. So what we're seeing now is something that I think would have played out, um, yeah. but just weren't really as prepared as necessary. And that's why I think there's a, you know, a lot of retail roadkill out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I have to share a story too, before we get started, because I think it's based on what you just said, I think it's gonna be fabulous to get your background on all these stories. And we've got some really cool stories, of course, from Amazon, Walmart, but we've also got some special stories from Klarna and Apple that we're going to cover this week. And knowing Ken the way I do, God knows where this conversation is going to go amongst the four of us. But I do want to share a quick story before we get started of how Ken and I met, because I think this is a cool story for anyone in leadership to listen to. And it's kudos to Ken for, for what he did. But the way Ken and I met, this was probably 2000, 2001. Gap was having this huge like, kind of meeting. And they actually, they, at the time, they held their meetings at City Hall in San Francisco. And after the meeting let out, I was walking, I don't know, I think it was like down Van Ness Street. 
And my buddy and I, Jamie Briggs, shout out if he's listening. He may be. We're walking down the street. We're trying to go back to the headquarters, which is probably, I don't know, Ken, what, three, four miles away. And yep. uh, and I, I'm walking down the street ready to take the, the Muni, the public transportation. And there's Ken. And he's about ready to get into this, like, the Swedish Jaguar I've ever seen at the time. And I elbow my buddy, Jamie, and I say, hey, you know what, Jamie? I'm going to ask him for a ride. I'm just like this lowly guy on the total pole, president of Gap Brown. I say, hey, Ken, what, what do you say about giving us a ride? And Ken goes, hey, hop on in. And he drives us back to the headquarters. And then a few weeks later, I think I was actually pitching him some idea on denim. It was just this random thing. But uh, I always that has always stuck in my mind. It's just a great example of just somebody being cool, somebody being down to earth. And oh my God, that is the actual car if you're watching this at all. So now Ken doesn't remember that story at all, and he can explain I, why. But this is, <laughs> this is straight out of an 80s movie. You realize that. This is like something like who who would play you, Chris, in that 80s movie where you're asking Ken for a ride? I guess it would be 90s to set the right oh, context. For, but for I sure feel Val like... Kilmer. I mean, me in the 90s was totally Val Kilmer. <laughs> it was Val Kilmer, yeah. Who but plays Ken? Ken, who would it be for you, man? Yeah. Ken, who plays you? You know, who plays me? I, I have no idea. That's a good question. I, I actually I, know I, the answer to that. I know the answer to that. And then we'll get to the headlines. I've actually always thought you look like William Thickner. I think he looked that up. Can we have he some was, context, please? Yeah, this he like was Star in, he, Wars last week. You, you'll know him. And I think his name, I, I got to make sure I got his name right. But he was in like, he's in Heat. He was in, um, uh, what's that movie? The Perfect Storm. He's been in a lot of stuff that you've seen. Hmm. He's like kind of a good character actor, but I've always thought Ken looks like him. We can but have our listeners about, submit other suggestions also. As they're watching. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, well, that's what makes our show unique. All right, well, let's get started. This first story is near and dear to my heart. I've got the first one this week, and that is let's, that let's do. Hey, can we do a quick word from our sponsor, Chris, before of course we get into it? You know, people are going to start to think that's planned because it happens every week. But yes, of course, our sponsor is Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite. So grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. All right. And now segueing, segueing into grocery even further, big news out of Amazon this week. Report is that they are rolling out a smart grocery cart to let shoppers skip checkout lines and just walk out of their still unopened grocery store planned in Woodland Hills. Now, I'm definitely not going to start with this because I put my <laughs> thoughts in Forbes earlier in the week and I have a ton of thoughts on this, but I'm curious, Ken, I think we got to start with you. What's your take on this whole smart shopping cart idea coming out of Amazon this week? I think any technology that makes the in-store experience more like what online is, is a win for the customer and ultimately the retailer. Um, Generally, I think why we like online so much is we don't really rely on service. We are we are the service and we are the shopper. So in this case, you're syncing up, uh, and I feel it's really important to all of retail. I think grocery has the greatest way to go as far as advancing. I think they were well behind. Uh, probably also the home business was pretty far behind. I think apparel, accessories, uh, fashion, beauty, of course much further ahead on the curve to adopting technology and making that in-store experience um, more frictionless. I think that's what we want. We just don't want to waste time. 
And in this this day and age of you know wanting to get in and out quickly, having less contact with other people and possibly associates, um, it's it's a smart thing to do. What do you think, Ann? I I, I think there, I, I I think I fundamentally agree with that. I think there's some nuances. I think especially with this story, but like, what do you think in terms of what Ken said and and what you know about this story too? Yeah, I think Ken brings up a good point and and is very true, especially as we start to look at some of the other technology that's emerging, especially in the grocery space with all that's happened um, over the, the course of these last few months. I think that this Amazon cart, I mean, as much as we can like joke about how ridiculous this seems to be going in and like, is it going to work? And, you know, all the people talking about turning carts into bonfires and parking lots or sorry, bonfires, grills into parking lots, barbecue grills, and all the comments that I think we've read over the course of the last few weeks of how this is not going to work. But I think that what Amazon is doing here is ultimately working backward. So yes, the cart is not the fine, like that's not going to be the final way that I think people shop this Amazon grocery store. I really think that for them, it came down to how do we test the just walk out technology in some way, shape or form in a 30,000 square foot box and work backward. So how, what can we learn by putting this cart in that helps kind of triangulate and fill that missing piece to scale into a box this big? What can we learn and then what can we use to kind of go backward and adopt the, the current footprint that we know can work in an Amazon Go store and start to kind of figure things out um, at, at a larger scale and with more people in the store. So that's my, I think it's, I think that's kind of what's, what's really happening here. I don't think it's just this cart that is, it, it is a flashy, a shiny object that Amazon had to put out if they're going to open this store in real life. But it is, which I definitely want to hit on too. I mean, Emma, <laughs> like what's your, like Emma, what's your kind of take here? And then, and then I want to go back to Ken to see what, what kind of the thoughts are given what Anne said, but like, Emma, what's your take here on like a, a shopping cart like this? Do you, do, do you like, does it work with Ken's thesis in terms of this makes my experience better and friction free or like how do you think about this you're i mean you're the youngest one here the resident gen zier i definitely think i think it would be cool like in my local stop and shop but what gets me the most about this cart is that it only fits one to two shopping bags like at that point i don't need a cart you just use a basket but i definitely think if i could like i would pull it out in any kind of local grocery store if it were available to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Ken, what do you think? Anything to add here? Yeah, I think one thing that's important to think about the scan and go, I mean, self-service has been around for quite a while. I think one of the challenges with self-service, the way it has been operating is shortage. And I think the shortage numbers are fairly high. Mm -hmm. Uh, You scan it, don't scan it. It kind of goes in the bag. Hey, I got nine out of 10. I was like, yeah, 90%. That's pretty good. But, you know, of course, the one item that was the most expensive didn't get scanned. Mm -hmm. So here... Everything drops into the cart, gets scanned. So you are there. I, I think it will probably reduce shrink, mm-hmm. and it'll also accelerate. It'll just accelerate the experience. I mean, people want to get in and get out. You know, I would imagine that stores of the future will have logos outside on the door that'll say either contactless, self-shop, whatever, just so you know, and you can actually gauge that your experience because of those logos will be frictionless and faster. Yeah. And, it's and you can power. decide what you want. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's all about, I think that's all. I think I, my opinion is like, I think I agree with everything that's been said. I think, I think the important thing with this story, I think, I think it's a really important story. It's important to put in the context of 
all the experimentation that's ongoing with Amazon, right? You have Amazon Go at 3,000 square feet. You have Amazon Go Grocery at 10,000 square feet, which is basically computer vision, AI. You just walk in, walk out technology. And then you have this still unopened grocery store, which initially was supposed to open in February. Amazon, I asked them directly this week, has still not commented on when this store will open, which is 30 to 40,000 square feet. There's a lot going on there. And what the ultimate answer is still, could still change. And if you, for my money, I would actually see that the computer vision technology catches up with this and obsoletes the, this idea of the cart down the line. Right. And to answer your point, I think you're right in the sense of like, okay, this is a way to, to approximate some of that and see what customer receptivity is to this in that larger footprint. But I think what it tells more and what I'm more concerned about, but if anyone can weather the storm with this, it's Amazon, is that there may not be anything cool in this grocery store. And so, Ken, I think when you talk about, um, you know, let's make take everything from online and make it better and more friction free. I'm not sure what that is or I'm starting to wonder what that would have been had there not been this like just kind of add on cart here at the last minute, which, by the way, when Bloomberg did their report on this in February, this wasn't even mentioned. And so it feels like a late ad. It only handles two bags. It's supposed to be a full service grocery store when you other you already have other options. So there's not, you're not going to tap into that many people with this in that type of environment. So it begs the question of what are they really hanging their hat on here? And I think time will tell. Personally, when you look at the videos of how this thing works, I also don't think it's going to be very successful because it looks really difficult. I said in my article, you have to like wait for colors to light up as you place things in the bag. You have to use your phone with it. It's like playing a game of Simon back in like the 1980s. If you remember that thing with the wheel and the four different colors, like I don't want that to say nothing of accessibility, which by the way, Amazon still has not commented on. Uh, and I had questions about that. Like, can everyone even use this or is it only limited to certain types of people, which I think is another important thing. Um, so I think there's a lot going on here, but I think the biggest thing for me is it opens up questions about what is this new full-scale grocery concept. And even though Amazon has deep pockets, first appearances matter. Like you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. Just ask Tesco in grocery and Tesco and grocery is hard. So I think you've just got to be thinking about that. We shouldn't just assume Amazon is infallible based on their past successes, especially as they try to get into physical retail. I don't know. Anything you guys would add on that long diatribe I just went on? Nope. We'll see what happens. <laughs> I think nope. you pretty much heard it, so we can probably. <laughs> we can move on from Simon Says references and head on to the next story. All right. I M&M that one. All right. Good to know. Or you guys are just like, hey, man, uh, let's just move it. All right. I got it. And why don't you do hey, the next one? Go, just one thing. I'm going to go with the under that next week's sponsor won't be Amazon. Or- <laughs> <laughs> Just oh, that I don't I don't know that it ever will be, but who knows? You know, could have taken that under about three years ago. <laughs> All right. So story number two, Apple, uh, after having to close several stores again, is pushing its retail staff who were working in those stores to work remotely. So Deidre O'Brien, uh, Apple's senior vice president of retail and people. She's been encouraging employees who were working out of those stores um, that are now closed again to begin working from home to serve Apple customers uh, via their new Apple uh, at home platform. So 
Um, Deidre has mentioned that, you know, since there's an increase in customers looking to still buy and service these Apple products during the pandemic, um, right now they're experiencing significant wait times with the stores being closed. And so they're really encouraging um, all of their employees to kind of get back into work, be doing this work remotely. And for me, I think this goes back to what we've been posting about and Chris, you've been talking about since the pandemic began this, this move for retailers to start to, especially bricks and mortar retailers to think about what happens if stores don't exist. How are you going to pivot your business model to still serve people, to still serve your customers um, and not have to be dependent on that bricks and mortar location. And I think this is a a particularly critical time. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but NRF came out just this last week with some stats on back to school shopping. And because there's still a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknown, it looks like people are, or they're expecting consumers to spend more, especially on Apple type of products to accommodate at home learning or the uncertainty of what this hybrid learning model will be. And so spending will be up um, to higher rates than we've seen traditionally for back to school. So I think it's a good time for Apple to be repositioning um, how they sell their products in stores. Yeah, Ken, I, I was, this was probably my favorite story knowing that you were going to come on today. Like, you know, just knowing your past experience, like say, say back in your position at the Gap or any of the other companies that you've led, like, how would you have thought about this predicament facing the retailers? And, and how do you put the decision that, you know, Apple has made in that? How would you put that decision Apple's made in context with how you would think about this from a management perspective? Well, I think, I think first of all, Apple is putting their customers safety as well as those of their associates you know, on the forefront. And they want to make sure, I think Apple's been pretty much a leader in terms of you know, when to say stop, when to say go. And I think many of the other retailers are looking to Apple to see what's the direction. Um, they're, they're probably taking it as safe as, playing the safe as anyone. Um, and as an Apple customer, you know, one of the things that we've come to really appreciate is the genius bar. So how, how do we get support or help? Uh, and then once the store opens, will I be able to get to a genius bar anyway because there'll be such a backlog? So I think the ability to access, have customers access Apple employees while the store is closed, um, A, shows, of course, their, their depth and strength as a brand, but B, just helps continue to solve our problems as a customer. Um, you know, the challenge that Apple faces is as customers get used to having some of these issues dealt with online, boy, Maybe this could be an ongoing thing, but ultimately, as a retailer, I want you kind of coming into my store and thinking about new AirPods on the way out or taking a look at some of the things we have. I, I don't know what the statistics look like, but I, I'd be curious to know how many customers go into a store for a genius appointment and actually make a purchase. Right. So it, now they could have lined it up in their mind. I'm going in while I'm at the genius bar. I'm going to buy a watch or, or whatever. But the two really work well together and create this repeat traffic into the store. Um, at the same time, so many of the things that we need done at the Genius Bar can certainly be done while on a Zoom call. So I, I, I think it's I think it's brilliant because it also it will limit it will it'll increase the access to the Genius Bar when the store is open. And I think Apple will have a real problem with crowd control and how mm-hmm. many. Were in a store at a time based on are they allowing five per foot, ten, you know, how many customers per hundred feet are they allowing? So, this is yeah. a good way to begin to attack what will be an issue when they do reopen, which is customers that really need to go to the genius bar to get, to get a fix. 
Yeah, those are awesome points. Yeah, I mean, I th- yeah, yeah, it's like almost like like you're saying, it's almost like a, it could be a great blessing or it could be a mixed blessing. It's hard to know without that data. If anyone has that data, let us know because that could be really interesting in terms of where do the purchases actually come from or where do they start. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I've long been on record as saying, like, I think we've overestimated how good of a retail experience those stores are because at the end of the day, they're also selling probably the greatest product of definitely the last 10 years, if not the last hundred years, which is the iPhone, right? So that brings in in and of itself a lot of traffic in. So, you know, as that starts to wane, this could be a really good way and smart, efficient way for Apple to uh, interact with their customers online. Like you said, Ken, like it's a real simple way to just get help. It actually just makes a ton of sense. The cool thing I thought about this story too is they started this idea in March. So they developed this retail, quote unquote, retail at home platform in March. So again, I think, Ken, you brought this up before too. Like the companies that have been investing in these things or who are willing to take risks on the technology side, and even if they don't work, they're trying them out, seem to be coming out ahead. And the scary thing for me with Apple too is Apple relative to most US retailers is far more international in its scope. So they have an idea of what's coming and they're seeing what's coming on a much more regular basis than other people potentially are and they're getting prepared. And so I think if anything, it's again, it's another call shot for, for retailers to watch this and decide how they can do similar things. The caveat being Apple has more cash on hand than probably any other company in the world. I don't know that for sure, but I know it's right up there. Um, so it affords them the ability to do this. But Emma, I mean, you, you're the closest to having worked retail of all of us, even though we all have. How would you feel about this on the employee side? Like, would you, would this be something you'd want to do? I mean, I think I would jump at the opportunity to interact with customers this way if I was still at home. I think it would be kind of fun. No, yeah. I looked into it and I was like, can a non-Apple employee get this job? I think it's so <laughs> cool that, <laughs> I think it's awesome that they're giving retail employees just another opportunity to keep a like flow of income coming and kind of test out different, like their different or apply their different skill sets too the Apple companies. I definitely think it's a really cool thing that Apple is doing. Yeah. Ken, anything to add? Yeah. I think, you know, thinking about this more, you know, I was with my, my mom yesterday. She's getting up there in years and you know, she had a problem with her iPhone and, yeah. and living in the city. You know, the last place she's going to go now is to right. the genius bar. But and Apple, of course, they know everyone's age because somewhere in the sign on to your phone, you're putting in your birthday. Um, it would be great if they could open up that kind of service to senior citizens because it's also a, no offense to senior citizens as I approach that age, but I, I think there's probably nothing more frustrating than waiting online at the Genius Bar with a group of seniors in front of you that are asking, you know, how do you turn on the phone again for the fourth time? So, you know, here's probably a way that they could probably make their Genius Bars even more productive, take care of a customer that's really in, really in technical need and do something really good. That's an awesome point. Yeah, like how many seniors aren't actually coming in in normal conditions to that environment because they don't want to hold up the line or they don't want to be embarrassed by, you know, younger people that are in there shopping too or asking for help. Yeah, it might not be the most welcoming experience. Right, and don't feel safe now to do it. So there's definitely out there with technology that really need help and probably aren't going to go to the store to get it. That's, yeah, that's a huge point. So I think resolutely, we all love this move. This is one we all feel you know pretty strongly about. All right, well, again, a good segue. Uh, let's go from old people to Generation Z and the first virtual shopping event. At least it's marketed that way, specifically for them. Emma. All right. So Klarna is planning to kick off a Gen Z-focused virtual shopping event. 
They're partnering with Cosmopolitan to host a 48-hour shopping event that's going to take place the weekend of August 8th and 9th. And then they're going to feature exclusive deals across fashion, apparel, footwear, and beauty products from brands such as Adidas, Sephora, H&M, and others in Klarna's network of more than 4,200 U.S. retail partners. I'm pretty excited for this. I marked my calendar because, you know, I'm not doing very much. So that sounds, sounds like something to look forward to. But I really like the idea of a virtual event that, you know, it's not Prime Day. It's not Cyber Monday. Things that I think Gen Zers don't take too much of a part in at the moment. And then I think it's also cool that it's Klarna because I have Klarna's app and I browse through it pretty frequently. They offer like they have brand discovery, lifestyle content and exclusive discounts to these retailers. And then what I also love is that like more and more of these fintech companies are partnering up with retail platforms like The Real Real and Goat, which I think is really going to drive kind of the future of Gen Z shopping. But yeah, the virtual event, I'm excited to see what it's all about. That's oh, fantastic. Emma, Anna, how, you, oh. how relevant is Cosmopolitan in the Gen mm. Z world? That was a big question for me. Uh, yeah, I kind of didn't write any notes about that because it means pretty much nothing to me. Like, I know <laughs> okay. it's a big media company, but like, but like, you're not, yeah, you're I not really cruising know. Cosmo anymore. Like that's, that, that seemed like an, <laughs> an interesting partner for like, this is might maybe doing more for Cosmo readership than it is in the Gen Z era than it is for anyone else participating. Yeah, and, but and you just killed another sponsor. Guess Cosmo <laughs> won't be next week either. Boy, we're just taking them down. Ken, that's what we do here at Avi Talk. Ken. Welcome, welcome to the show. <laughs> but well, Ed, what I, I well, first two questions: Are you going to get your Swedish game on for this forty-hour shopping experience, being that Khan is a Swedish company? And then two: What does Cosmos still mean where to you going. within the context of this? Uh, so here's the deal: I think this has all of the good ingredients to make this great virtual shopping recipe. We have a publisher or, you know, which I would have gone probably with an influencer instead, but uh, making the decisions or curating content for the sale. Uh, You have scarcity. We're doing flash deals and limited time offers and specific deals for Klarna app uh, members and Klarna, of course, putting this all into bite-size payments for the Gen Z audience. So I think, I think it's a really great experiment. Go for it. Um, I don't know that I will be participating in this one necessarily. Um, I started to play around with, you know, how they're going to do this. And I'm curious how the functionality is going to work too, because right now in the test kind of example products that they highlight, you have to go in from this Cosmo site into the retailer's individual page and things like that, which I know I always get a hard time from you guys for for knocking the tech before it's out but it's like oh not okay, on this one though no i think if you're you right. want like, this to be like this really great experience yeah. you have to think of it the whole way through and that's why to me this would have made much more sense going through even instagram or something to to pull it off instead of an old no, i think you're right about that and though like the, i think you're right like no we, we do make fun of you for that but i think this is a different context like you get one shot at this you know and the tech can make it work or not Otherwise, it's just an expensive marketing piece that people picked up and read about for a few time, few minutes, and then they don't do anything with it. Like that was going to be my question for Emma, which is like, like, how are they marketing this to you? Are you seeing it? Would you even have heard about it? Because yeah, you don't want it to just be a flash sale that doesn't get any traffic ultimately. Like, and is that what we're going to look at? But you know, on its whole, it's cool because you've got installment financing with Klarna. You've got a content producer, which we've talked a lot about, disintermediating the role of the merchant or the retail and being able to bring commerce directly to people that, you know, they are the authority on. 
Like Emma, how are you seeing this marketed to you at all as a Klarna user on a regular basis? No, not at all. The only reason I know about it is because I read it in whatever email it was that kind of talked about it. Yeah. But yeah, I've it's been like looking for away. it to be marketed all over. I even like Googled it and couldn't really find anything other than news articles, specifically retail ones talking about it. Yeah. And Ken, your experience of fashion is, is much wider than ours. Like what, what, what are you, what are you thinking about this one? I mean, I'm just curious to know what virtual means. Virtual means so many different right. things, so many people. Is right. it virtual? Is it video? Is it actually live? Is there, I, I so I, I don't really know. I don't know what, I don't know what virtual means here. Um, we'll see. Yeah, but more to come. Yeah, we'll see. But it's definitely it's definitely hitting on key themes now. Can they pull it off? The devil's in the details, like it always is in retail. You know, I think I think we read a lot about. Um, I think in China they were using a lot more virtual shopping. Uh, they were they were creating a lot more virtual content online to create more of an experience online, which we've all been searching for in stores. So, I think down the road, it will be important how we add texture, content, experience to the 2D world of online shopping. Yeah, and is that quote-unquote virtual, like you said, or what we've talked about on the show a lot, is it more of like a live stream video? I would probably place my bets on the video side of that if I was hedging uh, and hitting things traditionally that way because we haven't explored that like they have in China. But it seems, I mean, like it's, it seems like it's coming. It would be like, you know, if you were like going back to grocery stores for a second. Yeah. You, um, I'd rather shop, you know, typical four across, endless aisle down, as we all do today, or actually virtually walk through the aisle and click on product as I see it. Um, you know, if, if that's a good experience as well, I might opt for that because, as you know, when you're in a supermarket, you're, you, you have well, there's greater impulse, greater likelihood you're going to drive higher AOV, probably good for the retailer. But listen, good for me too. I can discover new things. Hard to really do as much discovery online because a lot of times you're there and you sort of know what you want. But when you're browsing through, whether it's an aisle or a store, you find new product and that's how you become affiliated with that product or a user of that product. So ultimately creating a virtual experience as part of the experience online, I think is really important. What that looks like, how frictionless it is, you know, remains to be seen. Yeah, that's a great point. I've never thought about that. We, I, I think I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago where not a huge fan of VR as the substitute for shopping in a lot of use cases, especially in apparel for the reasons you talked about. But yeah, the idea of, of, of maybe simulating grocery where the, where the, the commitment is lower in terms of what the prices are. You kind of already know what you want every time you go in there. And, you know, the counter case being it's not super easy to just kind of add all those items to a cart online. That just takes a lot of time. Is there a way to facilitate that happening? Yeah, that's an interesting angle. I'm going to have to think about that one more. Um, so I love doing this show. All right, let's finish this out. Now, for the last two stories, we're actually going to combine these together, pick up some time here as well. But they really are the yin and yang of each other, or as I should say, they really show where the battleground is about to start between the two behemoths in this country, and that is Amazon and Walmart. So the first headline this week was that Amazon plans to open healthcare centers near its fulfillment warehouses. So this week they announced what they're calling the Neighborhood Health Center Program in partnership with Crossover Health to establish centers uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, which right now currently is home to 20,000 Amazonians, uh, as Amazon said on their press on their corporate website, and that includes 11,000 operations employees. 
They also say that they have plans to establish as many as 20 health centers across five different cities in the U.S., which would help more than 115,000 Amazon associates. The Dallas part of this is interesting, and we'll segue here and I'll tell you why. So Walmart, coincidentally, headline five, has also quietly registered that they are getting into the insurance business. That's according to CNBC. They've created a new LLC called Walmart Insurance Services, and the aim there is to sell insurance policies. And they actually now have job listings open on their website, or job openings, I should say, listed on their website for this currently. The job posts say that they are looking to hire insurance agents again in the Dallas area to help sell supplemental Medicare plans. Now, don't forget, Walmart's also made inroads with healthcare clinics running different tests in states like Georgia, where they're offering $25 doctor visits. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think $35 dental visits. Yep. Man, these two are now going after it full bore in almost every single way. You got Walmart Plus last week. This is starting to get really interesting. And I see you smiling. What are you thinking? Well, yeah, I mean, we basically, not that there ever has been a time where they're not in, in a boxing ring together, but I right. think it just turned into like Battle Dome, only one will come out alive. This is getting very serious. So I think the the healthcare spin, um, and, and thanks to listener Scott B, a quick shout out for sending the Amazon story our way this week. But, you know, the healthcare industry is even more ripe for disruption than I think any other industry. So you look at these major retailers, um, you know, Walmart and Amazon being this week's story, but how, how far away are we from the Googles, the Apples, the Facebooks, just, you know, going in and saying, we have, you know, thousands of employees. We can already support our ecosystem alone can support, you know, having our own system of clinics, our shopper ecosystem, as you expand that even further beyond just the employees, um, our shopper uh, base can also support going to these clinics and us really investing in this as part of, you know, the uh, the whole Walmart experience. They said in the release, you know, they're always looking for ways to help the customers save money and live better. And for Walmart, this is certainly a way that they can do that. Um, and Amazon, like we said, is taking the approach of starting, I think, more with employees and their families and kind of going the other direction. So it it makes a lot of sense for me. I think the other part of this that I would call out is, especially in um, in Amazon's case, and as we start to see Apple and Google and Facebook and some other companies doing this as well, you start to look at the offices going away too, and all the perks that you used to get, you know, the free food, the like really nice amenities in your office, the gyms, the whatever, like if we're not going back to offices and a lot of those companies aren't, what are other ways that they can still attract talent, that they can still get people motivated to come to work for them every day and providing affordable or subsidized healthcare for their, their workers is certainly a way to do that, especially during a, a worldwide health crisis. So there's a lot, a lot going on here, but I think a lot of positive that will come from it. Those are really good points. I, I think the question I would pose to you guys too, I think would be, what I find really interesting about this is, is just the dichotomy here of Amazon attacking the warehouses, Walmart taking the position of let's tackle almost store employees and actual consumers knowing full well that also Walmart has, because I did the math or asked them this week, 4,753 Walmart stores plus a whole host of Sam's Club stores. Mm -hmm. 
by which to go after this, that's going to take Amazon a hell of a long time to get to. Like, Ken, maybe I'd ask you that question. Like, who win? Who do you think is better positioned to win this battle just strategically when you start to think about what uh, assets they have on the table here? Well, I kind of look at this as part of Amazon's diversification plan. I mean, okay. right? I think you're right. At first, you start, you service your employees. What a great benefit to have. You take care of your own. Uh, not to mention what the cost savings may be on plans that they're actually supporting or underwriting anyway. Uh, once that starts to work out well, do they take it to the surrounding neighborhood? Does it become go from a cost center to a profit center? So I, I think that's probably the view, but clearly the biggest part of Amazon's workforce is at their warehouse, at their distribution centers. The biggest part of Walmart's workforce is at their stores. And they're probably both looking at it the same way. What can we do to improve the quality of life for our associates, um, potentially bring down costs of healthcare and benefits, and then ultimately, how can this become a profit center by serving a, a, a greater portion of the community? Does, let, let me click on that a little bit. Does physicality matter in this, like in your guys' mind? Like, does the physicality of you know, where healthcare is done matter in this discussion at all in terms of who can you know, better win in this battle? Like, explain what you mean, because they're but, in the Walmart stores versus the Amazon ones being like external clinics or... Yeah, I mean, like the idea of a clinic and where those are best positioned. And when you bring when you wrap plus, because there's been a lot of chatter on this in social media too, when you wrap plus or prime into that, this the the amenities or extra benefits you can provide through like selling an insurance plan to prime members or plus members, and then having healthcare on site. Does the physicality of that matter? I kind of think it does, but I'm not sure. So I, I was curious what you guys think. Does that make sense? I think you know, the, the good news is, let's say it does matter. Obviously, convenience matters. Uh, if Amazon had a brand uh, of a wellness brand or a, a care brand, a caregiver brand, I mean, think about it. They could take that to every single mall in the country for nothing, right? I mean, right. all the space is crazy available. So limiting. the ability to take the idea uh, and in probably six weeks, whether it's with Simon, with this one, with that one, even putting something like that, Amazon, taking some outlet space. I mean, believe me, the outlet yeah. centers have plenty of space. You're, show, you're sharing value, probably your customer, and they love to, you know, what does Amazon healthcare look like? I mean, look, what, what's the statistic today? What, 70% of U.S. households are Amazon Prime members? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's everyone's familiar with it. And, and between, Amazon, between Amazon and Walmart, I mean, who hasn't shopped it one ever? I mean, who is that person? Do you know them? I don't know them. No, yeah, you're right. And they're saying that as many as 5 million people sign up for Walmart Plus immediately. No, it's a great point. Yeah, I think what it, it helps me learn too or think about is, you know, while physicality might be a perceived advantage for Walmart, maybe not. Like, you know, there it could just be so easy for Amazon to get into with what other assets are available out there, like you said, whether it's the shopping malls, the outlet centers, like, and just how good they are online with that experience that maybe, it, maybe they can overcome that too. Think about the, one of the challenges we're going to have, you know, come this fall is with, with vaccines and distribution. And you're, it's hmm. we're not really set up, I don't think. Hmm. I mean, we're seeing now the lines and you know to get a, a COVID test or to see if you're antibody positive. I mean, it's still not easy. And availability, at least certainly for the near future, is going to be really important. 
So someone can move quickly here, I think, take advantage of it, figure out a way. I mean, even in that uh, the Apple article, they're sending um, home test kits to their employees who are working at home so they can test at home for COVID. But administration of, of, um, of these tests is really important. And I think it's a, it's a matter of how, to, how do you get it done? How do you scale this? Yeah, that's a great point. So they're almost on the front end of a, a macroeconomic curve here that could provide tailwind to those sales here for a long time to come, depending on what we're up against here. Wow. All right. That was heady in the last five minutes, as usual. That's usually what we do. That's our hallmark. Um, one question from the audience, too, on uh, LinkedIn. This one's for Emma. Emma, curious, what's your point of view on installment payments and why they're taking off versus credit cards and why browse on Klarna versus el- elsewhere? Why don't we end on that one? I think installment payments are really cool for people my age because the majority of us, if we have jobs, they're like part-time jobs where all the money you have to survive comes in on a paycheck once every two weeks. So therefore it makes it easier to not drop all of your money in one go. And it's, it's just much nicer for us to be able to spread it out throughout installments. And then credit cards, I think like I have a credit card just because my parents were like, you need to start establishing credit. But it's just much less structured, I think. And people always talk about how careful you need to be with a credit card. And that kind of narrative hasn't been put on installment plans yet. And then what was the last part of the question? Uh, Just why go to Klarna to browse and like kind of be interested in what kind of the wares are that are available there versus other spots. I pay attention to all of the different fintechs. There's like, I think about five major ones. And I think... Mostly the way I use it is if I'm shopping on a brand's website, I use whichever one they have. But now that they've come up more and more in what we're talking about through OmniTalk, that's when I start paying attention to who's really doing what, who has interest on the payments, who partners with what brands and what kind of like discounts you can get. And if you download the Klarna app, which I don't have the apps of any of like a firm afterpay, anything like that. But yeah, if you download the Klarna app, it's actually pretty fun to browse through. And I've only done it because I've heard it through us, but yeah. Interesting. So how you pay is almost a filter for how, where you actually might choose to browse, which actually makes a ton of intuitive sense when you get right down to it. Well, that's what, what that's what's like Shopify is betting on with shop pay and all these other companies too, that you start to use that as the gateway to where you're shopping and how you're discovering brands. That's fascinating. Oh my God, we could have a whole show on that. All right, well, let's close it on that note because I'm sure that's leaving a lot of people thinking. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for all the questions live on LinkedIn. I want to give a special thank you to my guest, our special guest today, Ken Pilot, my longtime friend and mentor. Uh, and Emma, next time you have to make sure you wear the gray hooded sweatshirts as well if you happen to be watching this on video uh, or we'll come up with something different next was time. Was that like standard issue to Gap in when you guys were both there and this is just, you wore it as a memento for that your time is there? The hoodie, it all started with Gap. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. And now, and now and Kanye is going to bring it back. Your homage to the Gap. I love it. You, you, you know what, you know what MAGA stands for, right guys? <laughs> Make America gap again. That's Make America right. Gap again. We all need some of that too. We all need some of that too. And I heard this morning he he has taken back his uh, uh, a claim that he's going to run for president. So who knows what happens in as the world of Kanye turns. But but anyway, hey, it's been a blast. We're talking about him. <laughs> We're talking about him. It's working. Gap is is in the conversation as it always will be with us. But uh, but yeah, but it was been a blast. Ken, thanks so much for coming on. I'm hoping we can do this again because it was fun. Yeah, great. Uh, 
And for those listening, remember like, review, and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. And as always, now, absolutely more than ever, given everything we've discussed, please, please, please be careful out there.